I need to tell you about one thing before we dive into the Word of God this morning. Uh, by the way, my name is Craig Jarvis. If you missed that, I'm the lead pastor here at Village, Bible, Village Church East. And uh, <laughs> that's right, we're going to join with Village Bible Church. We just like having similar names. Um, but uh, I need to tell you about one thing, and I really need you to put this on your prayer request. Um, Frank and Paula, most of you know Frank and Paula Muley. Some of you don't know them. They're just good friends of our church. Uh, Frank's dad uh, went into the hospital this morning with kidney failure. And so he only has one kidney, and that's working at 13%. So, um, so it's going to be a rough day for them. And I told them that uh, I would let you know because I know they're near and dear to your hearts. Uh, Frank, uh, you know Frank, just tough Italian Frank, um, had a really tough time talking to me on the phone this morning. So... Um, so I told him we'd, I'd tell you about it, and uh, I know we just prayed, but how about we pray again? Would that be okay with everybody? Let's pray again. The Mutleys need uh, your grace, Father, right now. They need your, uh, they need your sense of presence. They need, they need to sense you're near to them. Uh, their family is diverse, and, um, and it would mean so much to us, Father, if you would just visit them in a very powerful and miraculous way. Um, Frank's dad is just a, a funny, jolly individual, um, but he desperately needs to know he's right with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would um, help Frank and Paula to communicate words of affirmation and hope to their dad this morning. I pray that you would give them comfort that only your Holy Spirit could bring, uh, being that he is the comforter um, and a peace that passes understanding. Visit that hospital room and pour your grace over that family, I pray. Um, and just give them an amazingly good day together, no matter where it takes them by the end of the day. Uh, I pray that you would give them an amazing day, just being together and celebrating their dad. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. What would your perfect Christmas look like? If you, could, if you could have anything you wanted, if you could have all obstacles removed, if you, could, if you could just have your picture perfect Christmas, what would it look like? Who would be there? <laughs> Who wouldn't be there? Uh, where would you be? Would you be here? Would you be somewhere else? Uh, on, a, on an island somewhere where there's sunshine? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and if nobody got offended, if you just got to do whatever you wanted to do, and it's your Christmas, what would it look like? Um, you get any gifts you wanted to? I mean, wouldn't that be interesting? All right, now, now. Okay, so we've all, we've all dreamt and, and thought about that. Now, the second question is, what will your Christmas actually look like? <laughs> probably, probably not that. No, probably a, a little different. Well, that's usually uh, how it goes. Listen, Mary is about to experience life change like never before. 14 years old, never married, never had relationship with a man, all of a sudden now told by an angel she's going to give birth. Her whole world turns upside down. Her future that she had planned out has completely changed. Nothing would work out like she had dreamed. How would she receive the news? You think to yourself, if it were you, how would you... Re- I mean, how many times do you actually plan something out? It goes completely different than you have planned. What is your attitude usually like? 
Well, mine, I, that's something Beth will tell you I have to work on. Because I like to get from A to Z, and I've got a path to get there through B, C, D, and E. If we do it my way, everyone's going to be happy, and we'll be fine. But so often it doesn't happen that way. So often we go through a bunch of different avenues, and sometimes we don't even end up where I thought we should or would end up. Like shopping for Christmas gifts instead of watching football games. Or going for a walk instead of watching something blow up on the TV screen. Or having a family gathering at somebody else's house, not your family, and you got to go anyway. I mean, how many times do we actually have stuff to do that we don't necessarily want to do? And here's the kicker question, how do you feel about it? Because for Mary, her whole life has changed. And the big question this morning is, how does she feel about all of this? How is she going to adjust to this life change, this drastic life change? Last week we talked during Advent that things changed for Mary quickly. God had a plan for her and she had to adjust to it. But today we want to talk about how she adjusted to it. What is Mary going to do? Keep in mind, this plan was only, in her mind, only revealed to her. She's a 14-year-old single gal engaged to be married, but she's 14 years old and now she feels very much, I can only surmise, very much alone. I mean, who's going to believe her? Number one, would you? Somebody came up to you, a young 14-year-old girl says, I'm pregnant, but I don't know how it happened. I mean, would you believe that? No one's going to believe her. Who's going to believe her? What would her parents' reaction be? Devastation. What would her village say to each other? What would her future look like? Would Joseph dump her? And will she be a single mom for the rest of her life? How is she going to provide for her child? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these questions I'm sure she had in her mind. And I can only surmise. I mean, we all, we're looking back at the story and we're thinking to ourselves, Mary, everything's going to work out. It's all going to be great, right? She's looking forward. She has no idea what's coming. And I can imagine at this point that she has to feel very much alone. Very much alone. What is she to do next? Well, here's the great mercy of God. God has already planned out an avenue for her to walk down. God already had this worked out six months ago with a previous angelic visit to her cousin Elizabeth in verse 39. If you're using your Bibles this morning, you can turn there. Luke chapter 1 is the story that we're talking about this morning in Advent. And we're going to start this morning in verse 39. Luke 1.39, In those days Mary arose... And went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now this is probably about a three-day journey. It's about 50 to 670 miles walk for her to get from where she was to where Elizabeth lives. Do you think she told her parents she was leaving? I don't know. Would you? She's pregnant. She's got to explain it at some point. She's going to start showing at some point. She's going to have a baby at some point. When does she tell her parents? Do you think she told them before she left? I don't know. All we're told is that she went with haste. Not her friend haste, but that means she went quickly. She may have even ran away from home. I can imagine. She's probably thinking to herself, I'm willing to do this because, and we talked about this last week, because God is requiring this of me, but... My whole family's name is going to be dragged through the mud. 
And so she leaves town, found to be pregnant before she is married. And I think this is the mercy of God, and here's why. God knows what's going to happen with Mary and doesn't leave her alone. God visits Elizabeth six months prior, tell, or visits Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, tells him that Elizabeth is going to have a baby. She's barren. She's old. She's pregnant. A miracle is given to them, and this gives Mary somewhere to go. And so the angel says to Mary in verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So the angel basically gives Mary a place to go because he knows she won't be believed. Her story won't be believed. I think the Lord is giving her a companion through the journey. Now, I'm not a girl, and, and I never have been, but if I were young and... If I were pregnant, I, and if I were scared about what the future is bringing, I think I'd want somebody to walk the journey with me. And so God in his mercy gives Mary a partner, Elizabeth. Not only that, but God's mercy can be seen all over here. God knows that when this, this little girl goes to her engaged husband-to-be, he's not going to buy it either. And so God visits Joseph as well. While he was contemplating divorcing Mary, Matthew 1, 18 to 21 says, and her husband Joseph, he's not her husband yet, but in those days when you're engaged, you have a period of one year to make sure that you're, you know, you're not fooling around with the guy that you're going to get married to. So one year to find out if you're pure, then you get married at the end of that year, then you have a year honeymoon. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be great, right? So in this day, Mary, her husband was not her husband yet, but he was as good as her husband that engagement period. So the Bible says in Matthew 1.18, her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, he'd resolved to divorce her quietly. But as she considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Isn't God amazing to be so gracious to Mary? He knows Joseph's first reaction would be to dump her. And so God visits Joseph and he says, Joseph, relax. This is all according to plan. Joseph had to be an amazing guy too, don't you think? Like not only did he get the visit from an angel and probably would have taken that to buy this whole story, but he does in a great submissive spirit, knowing that this child would be as good as his and he would raise him and he would bear the, the derision of his village for the rest of his years. Because nobody's going to buy the story that they didn't fool around during the one-year engagement. Joseph decides to do what the Lord asked him to do. Not only that, God also goes to Zechariah. Zechariah is Elizabeth's husband. Zechariah gets a visit from an angel. We're looking at the story and we're thinking to ourselves, why are these angels appearing to all these different people telling them what's going on? It's because no one's buying the story. Unless God intervenes and starts telling people, listen, this is according to plan. Relax. Everything's fine. Just do what what I need you to do. And everybody, when they get the visit from the angel, when they get their angel visits, they'll go, okay, except for Zechariah. Zechariah, when he gets a visit, he's a priest. Elizabeth is his wife. And he is in sacrificing when he gets a visit from an angel. 
The angel tells him, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. He goes, no way. She's old. She's never going to have a kid at this age. Plus, we've been trying for years, and we've never had a kid. There's no way this is going to happen. So the angel says to Zechariah, all right, since you're not believing me, what did the angel do to Zechariah? Yeah, no talking, right? If you look up this word mute, by the way, in the Bible, um, mute could also mean he couldn't hear. So he may not just be not able to speak, he may also not be able to hear either. Elizabeth also gets a miracle, and we've just said it. Elizabeth gets pregnant. So she knows something's up. She knows there's some, some weird stuff going on. She knows her husband's mute because the angel visited him, and he had to do charades. You know, How do you say an angel visited me while I was sacrificing in the temple and told me you're going to have a baby? How do you do that, right? Yeah, baby, baby I, I don't know, but he's got to sign all this to her. And then she has to believe things are happening according to plan as well. God does all of this so that Mary can have support. So the first thing I see here is Elizabeth's response. I want to just park on this for a second because Mary goes to Elizabeth first. And here is Elizabeth's reaction. This is great. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, what church? The baby leaped in her womb. Is that even possible? Baby leaps in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth teaches us that when God makes big changes, he will affirm those changes in our lives through a variety of means. When God asks you to do something big, when God asks you to do something stretching in your faith, he will affirm that through a variety of means. Elizabeth is given a variety of means. Her husband has been visited by an angel. He didn't believe the angel, so he's mute and dumb, which she probably says he was like that before he got visited by an angel. And then when Mary visits, Mary, uh, the baby leaps in the womb. God is confirming Mary's story with Elizabeth through a variety of means. I think this is spectacular. John's job, by the way, what was John the Baptist's job in life, his only job? He was supposed to be the announcer of the Savior, right? He was supposed to be the, the forerunner of the promised one, a picture of Elijah. That's why he ate bugs and wore weird things and lived in the wilderness. That's why he did that, because that's what Elijah did. And so people looked at him and said, hey, he reminds me of Elijah. Yes, okay, now you got it. So I'm telling you that the Savior is coming. And one of the first things we have written that John ever said in the gospel was when Jesus showed up while he was baptizing in the river. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John is a forerunner of the promised one. And here's what I find really cool. Before John was born, what was John doing? While he was in the womb, he was affirming that Jesus would be the Savior of the world. When Elizabeth meets Mary, and Mary is now pregnant with the Savior, John the Baptist has his first job description fulfillment right here. He leaps in the womb, affirming to his mom, this woman is going to give birth to the Savior. This is the Savior of the world. Isn't that cool? So don't be telling me that it's just a blob of molecules. Because apparently, even in the womb, God's will is being done. Elizabeth 
is being confirmed things by God. Verse 42. So she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now Elizabeth begins confirming things for Mary. Can you imagine? Mary's walking 50, 60, 70 miles. She finally gets to Elizabeth's house. Three days journey. She's scared. She's alone. She doesn't know if anybody's going to believe her. She knocks on the door. Elizabeth opens the door. And what's the first thing Mary hears from Elizabeth? Blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How would Mary have received that news? Look at the other side of this. A pregnant teenager shows up on the doorstep of a pastor's house. The reaction of the pastor's wife would probably not be, whoopee! Wouldn't the reaction be, oh, my heart's breaking for you. But Elizabeth does not respond that way. She responds with great joy. Why? Because God has God has paved this path for these people to receive this news in amazing ways. And by the way, we're told way back in verse 6 what kind of people Elizabeth and her husband were. They were both righteous before God, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. These guys were, they were good, God-fearing people. And when Mary shows up on the door, she hears exactly what she's hoping to God she will hear. Love, acceptance, hope. Elizabeth is happy to see Mary. But notice also, she does not refer to Mary in some divine way. She does not get down on her knees. She does not worship Mary. How many of you have done Hail Marys before? Well, don't raise your hand if you've done it. But if you've ever done a Hail Mary before, this is where this comes from. Did you know that? This visit with Elizabeth and the visit of Gabriel with Mary are chunked together so that uh, the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, gets their Hail Marys out of here. What did I say? Oh, did you see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a Hail Mary I appreciate, right? You remember that one? Rogers threw that into the end zone? Yeah. Was it Detroit? Yeah. That was great. That was a great game. Yeah, the Bears, yeah. The Bears are always doing Hail Marys, so I just assume that you, you know, we're losing. Throw it in the end zone. Okay, sorry. Um, Back to the message. Yes. The Roman Catholic Church will teach the Hail Mary is used for penance purposes, but translations have taken liberty here. In the King James, um, Gabriel says to Mary, Hail, highly favored. In the NIV, it's greetings, you who are highly favored. In the English, uh, English Standard Version, uh, Gabriel says, greetings, O favored one. Hail Mary is what, what the church has pulled out of here, and they've joined Gabriel's greetings with Elizabeth's greetings. So they come up with, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This, pop, this phrase was made popular in the 1500s. Um, it was actually referred to earlier through a variety of, of uh, different writings, Um, But this phrase has been exalted to a mantra in the Catholic Church like few other mantras. Um, In the Council, in the Catechism of Trent, which came out of the Council of Trent, they say this, To this form of thanksgiving, the Church of God has wisely added prayers to an invocation of the Most Holy Mother of God, Mary, 
by which we piously and humbly fly to that patron, her patronage in order that by interposing her intercession she may conciliate the friendship of God to us miserable sinners and may obtain for us those blessings which we stand in need of in this life and the life to come. In other words, Mary becomes our inter, intercessory between us and the Savior. I want you to know in Scripture that is never taught anywhere. It's never backed up in the New Testament, it's never prophesied in the Old Testament, and it's never actually true, even when Mary goes through this whole series of greetings with Gabriel and Elizabeth in the gospel story. These two phrases have been put together and put together for a purpose, and the purpose is, if you say this enough times, God will be good with you. Uh, There's actually no prayer in Scripture, if you say it enough times, God will be good with you. Because quite frankly, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't need Mary, you don't need any other saint, you don't need me, you don't need, you don't need anybody else. You have one mediator between you and the Father, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. You don't need somebody that understands your pain, somebody who goes through your, your, your sorrows like the saints or any of those things. You need a Savior who, who went through every pain that we have gone through yet without sin. And when we pray, we pray to the Father through Jesus Christ because only Jesus' blood covers our sins. So when we pray, our sin is only covered through Jesus. And that's why Jesus is referred to in Scripture as the the friend who sticks closer than any brother. So you don't need a mantra, you don't need a Hail Mary, you don't need any of those things. What you need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, one Catholic blogger said this, The Hail Mary is the most powerful prayer after the Our Father, which God himself gave to the world. Every time we say the Hail Mary, we bless our Lord and the Virgin Mary. The mighty power of the Holy One, Hail Mary, is something no one can comprehend. I want to tell you, God's not interested in how wonderful your prayers sound. He's not really interested in how well you structure them or how well they look like Scripture or how well the church tells you you should pray. God wants to hear your heart. And so when you pray, God listens. And he only listens because of Jesus Christ. So if you've been doing Hail Marys, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to ruin your, your past or anything, but I want to encourage you to keep growing. Look in Scripture and find out if these things are true. Mary was scared, was a scared young girl visited by an angel. Other people were visited by angels so that she could understand this is all according to God's plan. There's nothing special about Mary other than she was used by God and she submitted to his will. But God had had a special place for her just like he has a special place for you. Hail Marys are not mantras you you say for getting sin forgiven or getting more grace uh, from God. This is a man-made concept to elevate Mary to a place above a common sinner saved by grace. And I'll prove it to you in just a minute that Mary was a common sinner saved by grace. Um, By the way, one more thing. If Jesus forgives you your sin, (laughs) you're good to go, okay? You don't need to be any more forgiven. There's no better blood, no better prayer, no better stuff that you can delve into. If you have given your life to Jesus and asked him to forgive your sin, he has forgiven your sins past, present, and future. Your sins are gone. There's no big screen when you get to heaven and God says, you remember this in 1988? You were a real moron back then. That doesn't happen because your sins have been forgiven and cast as far as the east is from the west. All right? God, that's who God is. He doesn't hold it against us until you say the right words, the right prayer. 
God loves to forgive. It's what he does. All right, verse 43. Elizabeth says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. She says this loudly. She also interestingly says, Mary is the mother of my Lord. This is not the word Savior in Scripture. This is not the word Savior. This is the word Kyrios. It simply means Lord, like exalted one or, or high, highly authoritative person. Verse 45. And blessed is she, now this is interesting, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. How did Elizabeth know that Mary believed the angel's message to her. Do, 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 do. How did Mary know that, or how did Elizabeth know, because Mary hasn't spoken yet, how did Elizabeth know that Mary believed the angel telling her she's going to be pregnant and it wasn't Joseph's baby, and how did she know Mary believed it? Yeah, I know. She's standing on the doorstep. She is acting as if this is already true. She's not showing yet. This is, this is just three days into it. So how did she know? She knew because Mary acted on her faith. The angel told her, so she believed it. That's amazing to me. You'd think that she'd like wait for four or five months until she began to show and go, oh, apparently I am pregnant, or, or however women tell that they're pregnant. Uh, but you think she'd wait until there's some proof of it. But no, she doesn't wait. She goes immediately. And Elizabeth says, blessed are you who believe. By the way, Elizabeth is probably saying this tongue-in-cheek because what did her husband do when the angel showed up to him? He didn't believe. So, so she's probably looking at Mary going, Mary, bless her you for believing because my dumb mute husband in the other room didn't believe. And now I got to, which is, by the way, not bad. He's not talking at all, but you know, it's hard to figure out what he wants for dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, Zechariah. We're going to have words when I get to heaven. Zechariah did not believe immediately and he was made a mute. Um, this is in Luke one twenty. We don't have time to look at that. Anyway. Um, Elizabeth saw the reactions of Mary and knew that she received the news differently from her husband. So I want to get right to Mary. Mary's response is she acted on what she heard from the angel. Verse 46. Listen to her heart. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Take a second. Her life has changed forever. When you have a baby, ladies, how much in your life changes? Everything. She's single. She's unmarried. Everything's going down the tubes. She still doesn't know how Joseph's going to take this whole news. She doesn't know how her parents are going to... I don't think she's told her parents yet. I think she's scared to death. And her first response to Elizabeth is, God is good. Three-day journey by herself, 14 years old. She's still submissive. And Mary talks about her feelings while God is turning her world upside down. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She doesn't talk about her standing before God. She talks about who God is. My soul magnifies God because he's great. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's not sorrowful. She's not scared. She's thrilled. 
And by the way, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Did Mary need a Savior? Yep. She did. I didn't say it. She did. Mary needed a Savior. So if you ever were taught that Mary is perfect, Mary gets to go to heaven without a Savior, you were taught incorrectly because Mary herself says, God is my Savior. Look what she says in verse 48. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Not blessed because of any intrinsic worth in Mary. Not blessed because she is without sin. Not blessed because of extreme holiness on her, heart, on her part. Blessed because of the child she was bearing in her. Is that mine? <laughs> Sorry. Blessed because of the child she was bearing. The child inside of her. And by the way... Leah, in the Old Testament, was about to have a child and used this exact same phrase. It's in the Old Testament. You can find it in Genesis 30, 31. She said, blessed will be, all generations will call me blessed because I'm having a son. This is not anything saying where Mary thought she was higher than any other woman. Verse 49. Four, here's the reason. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary is completely receptive to God, turning her world upside down, completely willing to adapt. He, and not only that, she loves it. He has done great things for who? For her. Does this little girl not blow you away? Yeah, I think that she, she wouldn't know what's going on. And she says, God is doing great things for me. Mary had to be an outstanding person. Holy is his name. Why? Because God always does what is right. And she's sure that because he's holy, he's absent of evil, and therefore he cannot do anything but good. Her response is incredible. And what she does for us now is she turns the screws and helps us see what our response should be. She helps us see the bigger picture. She switches this lever and helps us to look to ourselves. And then she says in verse 50, When God turns your world upside down, this should be your attitude as well. This is so hard. His mercy is not only for me, she says, but is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His character. It is his character that makes God a merciful God. And his character cannot change. So I'm here to tell you, church, whatever the Lord is doing in your life right now, today, it is in his character to be merciful And so he is to you being merciful. Now those are tough words to hear, especially if you're going through some tough times. It's tough to hear that God is gracious because his character is gracious when you're going through tough times. But Mary helps us to realize, not just look at me and see how I look at at, at God, but I want you to look at you now and understand God who is dealing with me this way, deals with every generation the same way. How can she say that God is merciful? I think because she sees the bigger picture. She saw the same character of God available to all people everywhere. And God doesn't change. Listen, God's plans for Mary's life were just as significant as his plans for yours and for mine. You may not have the Savior of the world in your womb. (laughs) That's a pretty big deal. 
But God has you here for a reason. God has a plan for you. And whatever it is, it is essential that you follow him the same way that Mary did. You're important for his purposes, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the, thought, uh, in the thoughts of their hearts. Proud people are hard to change, right? Proud people, like, you know, they, they, like I said at the beginning, they kind of have a, a, a road that they're going to travel down. They go from A to Z. They're having in a certain direction. It's very hard for them to switch, right? Proud people are hard to change. They get stuck in their plans. But listen, that's who God is. He likes to turn the tables upside down on the proud. By the way, that's why proud people have a hard time coming to the Savior. They like to be in control. And God likes to keep that spot for himself. And by the way, who's better at it, him or us anyway? Who's better at knowing what's coming and preparing us for what's coming, him or us? Every time I try and take the reins back from him, I usually make a royal mess of things. But every time I just hold my hands open and say, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I'm glad I'm not married and getting pregnant at 14 years old and never got to tell, share the story with everybody who's never going to believe me. I'm glad I don't have to do that. But I don't know what you're doing with this. I don't know why this is in my life. And God says, relax. I'm the same God that Mary knew. I'm the same God who took care of you. It took care of her. I will take care of you. This is the gospel. The gospel throws down the proud and lifts up the humble. Scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, but lifts up those who are poor in spirit. The thing that's hardest for a proud person to hear is that God is in control. And God will use you for his plans. Because proud people like me like to be in control of where they go. But it's good for us to learn. Let him be in control. His ways are better than ours. The gospel penetrates the heart of the humble, but grates against the hearts of the proud. That's why in Luke 18, 14, Jesus says himself, everyone who exalts himself will be what church? Humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. To receive this gospel, you must have a humble heart. This is why she goes on in verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She understands the gospel only has power when we let God do what God needs to do with us. That's how it's powerful in the world in which we live. That's why 1 Corinthians 1.26, one of my favorite verses go, consider your calling, brothers. Many of you were... Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. What did Mary have now anyway? She's 14, 15, whatever. She's young. What did she have? She had her name. She had her family's home. She wasn't rich. What'd she have now? You'd think if, she, if she's going to lose even what she had, she'd hold on to it a little tight, tighter. But now her reputation would be tarnished as well. Her engagement would be threatened to Joseph. Her family, her name would be tainted for the rest of their lives. 
But Mary, and this is key, is more interested in her standing before God than her place in this world. Say that one more time. Mary is more interested in her standing before God than her place in this world. And that's the lesson we learn from Mary. (laughs) Verse 53. This is who God is. He filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. By the way, this is Psalm 105, 106, 107, uh, almost verbatim. He satisfies a longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. You know what Mary is doing through all of this, by the way? She's quoting Scripture. All of this is Old Testament Scripture. Why? Because Mary has Scripture in her heart. She's already believed it, and now she sees it coming true in her own life. So she begins quoting Scripture. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Her entire prayer almost consists entirely of Old Testament quotes Mary has known from the past, but now is applying to her situation. You know why I love the Bible? Because it's full of words that are not meant to be consolidated in a dusty book that sits on your shelf that you pull off when you need a good mantra every now and then to get you through a tough time. The Word of God is given to us for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be equipped unto every single good work. You know what that means? We are, to meant, we are meant to know Scripture so that when it comes time for God to apply it in our lives, it comes real, true, real time in our, in our lives. We begin to think, oh yeah, this is what God meant when He said so-and-so in this passage of Scripture. This is where the Holy Spirit brings the Word of God to life in our lives. And for Mary, her world is turning upside down, and all she can do is quote Old Testament passages. Because now she sees this God who wrote all of these promises of the Old Testament is now making them all come true in her. And she's apparently thrilled. Mary is living her faith. And faith is not just knowing the right verses. Faith is living life like we believe God's promises apply to me and my situation. Faith is not simply believing something to be true. It's living my life as though it already is. That's, I think, up on the screen because it's really good. Faith is not simply believing something to be true. It's living my life as though it already is. Mary saw this plan of God and received it, applying God's word to her situation. Faith is applying God's truths to real time. Doubt is wondering if God is really for me. And this is why God, uh, Jesus reminded us, don't worry about tomorrow. Same God, he's got you. All the promises are true. So, final question. What can we learn from these people about receiving God's plans that change their lives? Number one, Elizabeth's response, seek affirmation from God. If you're wondering what in the world God is doing in your life right now, you may not be pregnant out of wedlock going to have the birth of a Savior, but... If you're wondering what in the world God is doing through this circumstance, because it makes as much sense as that does to Mary at the time, look at Elizabeth. Seek affirmation from God. God will always affirm his direction in your life. He is not one to keep it hidden so that he can have a good laugh at you every now and then. He will let you know what he's doing. He may not let you know the end product, but he will give you affirmation all the way through. You know one of the main ways he does that? It's through his people. 
If you're wondering what God's doing in your life right now, you should get with somebody that you know knows Jesus Christ and say, hey, listen, God's doing something in my life right now. I don't know what he's doing. Can you help me figure this out? It's amazing how somebody outside of a situation helps speak truth and joy and hope into a situation they're not in right now. The church is a wonderful concept, and it's not my idea. It's God's idea. He said, you need each other because life is hard, and I always turn your worlds upside down. So go to somebody else that's sitting beside you. Go to somebody else that you know is a spiritual leader and ask them, hey, I don't know what God's doing right now, but help me. And God's church helps. That's what we do. That's what Elizabeth teaches us. Mary teaches us, embrace whatever God is doing, embrace it, and act on it. She left for Elizabeth's house, not even knowing she was pregnant yet, but living as though it had actually happened. So the question I have for you at this point is, what bar do you hit in life that breaks your faith down? For Mary, apparently getting pregnant out of wedlock without having an intimate relationship with a man and being a young girl scared to death wasn't a bar that broke her down her faith. It only made it stronger. So what is the, what is the bar that breaks down your faith? I was cooking in a pressure cooker not long ago. It was a broken pressure cooker. The top was hard to turn on. It had, it had this little kink in it, so you had to really <clears throat> push it to get it on. And then you cooked whatever it is you're cooking, and sometimes a little thing went up, and sometimes the smoke went out, and sometimes it didn't. But eventually, your food is done, you pry the little thing up, all the steam goes out, you open it up, and you're good to go. Until this one day. I put my food in the pressure cooker, I'm cooking it up, screwed it on tight, and it was taking forever to cook. And I'm thinking to myself, come on, this must be done by now. So I went over to it, and I'm, I'm looking at it. There's no steam coming up. It looks like all the steam has gone up. I push a little, little lever up. There's no steam coming out of the lever. I'm thinking, it's probably done. So I try to turn the top off, and it sticks, because it's an old pressure cooker, so it sticks. So I really, really push it. And when I finally turned it at one specific point, it blew The lid went sky high. The food went on the ceiling, on the walls, and on me. And I got burns all over me. Now, the good thing is, my girls were sitting right next to me at the time, but they were on the other side. And when it blew, it blew at me. It didn't blow in their direction. So thank God that happened. But it blew at me. You remember that, girls? It was terrible, right? We're still cleaning potatoes off the ceiling. If you come to my house, I'll show show you the dents in the wall. There's an interesting point that that pressure cooker, once you got it to that point, it was going to blow. What's the point where your faith breaks down? What's the point where you say, I am done with this whole thing. I am not falling anymore. I've hit my pressure point, and that's it. You know what amazes me about Mary? This was a big pressure point, and she sailed right through it. So know what I learned from Mary? Don't go to church and exclaim that you're a person of faith. But when you hit the pressure points, let your faith break down. Because faith is great in church, but faith is important when you need it most. When it comes time for life to give you those moments when you're going, what in the world is God doing? Let your faith bloom. Let it grow. 
Because that's when your relationship with God will take off and too many people say, that's it, I'm done. I'm all done with this. It's too much, I'm abandoning it all. And they never realize a deeper, more genuine relationship with God. And God will never use them to the extent that they desperately would like to be used. Faith cannot be expressed on a couch. It can only be expressed when the pressure gets really, really high, all right? Finally, look at our response. Look for the testing of your faith. You know what? I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to say one more thing. Um, Pastors will teach a certain way on a passage of Scripture, and even pastors have a pressure point. Because when it comes to their pressure point, and some guys I know, pastors, shock me constantly and remind me I could be the same way. Because when their pressure point comes, they'll teach us passages of Scripture a certain way, but then when it comes into their own lives in some powerful, heavy-duty, harsh way, they will start looking at that passage of Scripture that they taught their whole lives completely different. And they'll begin to question what God said all over again. They'll interpret it in colorful ways. Why? Because they can't take the pressure. All right. Finally, our response is this. Look for how the testing and by faith can bless others. Reminds me of a passage of Scripture in James 1-2. Count it all joy, my brothers. <laughs> Don't you just see Mary here? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet what, church? Trials. Trials. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, by the way. Brethren and sistren, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the pressure cooker. And if you can endure with the power of God and let your faith grow you through the tough times, you can know a deeper faith than you've ever known before. Look at how this can happen today. I don't know what God is doing half the time that he's doing it, but I do know every trial is for my benefit. And I do know every trial that you go through is for your benefit. Why? Because it makes you strong. Don't abandon Mary's attitude is her life is about to turn upside down. And her response is complete joy. Not frustration, not negotiation, not complaining, utter and complete joy. And so church, how do you receive changes that God brings your way? Receive it with grace. Because you never know. You never know what God is doing. And you probably will never know the big picture. Until you get to heaven... And God will explain it all to you. And you'll go, ah, right. That's where I fit in. Man, I'm glad I endured through that, right? I would hate to get to heaven and say, this is what I had you go through this for. And this is what you missed. Oh, I missed that. Mary didn't miss it. And aren't you glad she didn't? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for our time this morning. We had to talk about Mary and... This is an amazing story. It's, it's always, when we look at it new, it's always, there's always some other nugget of gold we pull out. 
So this morning, we want to just say thank you for giving Mary this kind of faith. She couldn't have done this on her own. You had to do all these miracles and angel visits and instill faith in her that she can't have on her own. And also that we can look at it so that we could have a Savior that would save us from our sins. But even more than that, so that we can look at her and we can say, you know what? There's nothing extra special about Mary that's not available to me as well. And so, Father, help us to adjust with joy. When you change things in our lives, when you turn things upside down, when you put trials in there, help us to adjust with joy, knowing that this kind of trial can only make us more like your son. And boy, let that be the only thing that we ever live for. We love you, Father, and we love you because you loved us first. And we'll never know the extent of your love or the plans that you have for us until we see you face to face. But until that day, Lord, help us to remain faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.